You're listening to Beyond the Bike with Big Lou, the one-on-one series. And now a few words from our advertisers. Welcome to Sysmontane Brewing Company. We are located at 1409 East Warner Suite 6, Santa Ana, California 92705. We are open on Monday through Thursday from 3 to 9, Friday and Saturday from 12 to 9, and Sunday from 12 to 6. We have 15 beers on tap with rotating seasonal options. We also have a cask night and taco Tuesday every Tuesday from 3 to 9. And we also feature vinyl Sundays where you can come and choose your own record and we play your music for you. We'll see you soon, Santa Ana. Cheers. What's up, guys? Big Lou here. Welcome to another episode of Beyond the Bike Podcast. This is the one-on-one series. Special guest today is Kimmy Runner. Kimmy, welcome to the show. Thanks, Lou. It's awesome to be here. For sure. Uh, So... We're gonna to get to know Kimmy today, um, and uh, just enough about her, her, her training, her, her endurance racing, and also the uh, uh, her new career into uh, repping, repping yep. some stuff. Repping. So Rep let's life. get into it, uh, Kimmy. Uh, who, who is Kimmy Runner? <laughs> well, I am the brand manager for Smanya Saddles. I race for Troop Racing Company. And I just recently moved from Lake Forest area out to Dos Lagos into Mescal Canyon. Dos Lagos. Yeah, yeah. It's a little closer to work, certainly. Is it um, hot out there? It is hot out there. <laughs> I moved yesterday. In fact, my muscles are aching right now. But it was about 99 or so yesterday. My stepdad was kind enough, my mom as well, to come over and help me lug heavy stuff up three flights of stairs. So uh, I'm, I'm excited to be be in that place now that it's done yesterday i was eye on the finish line and now i don't have to strength train for two weeks or so nice so where were you born mission viejo california right on Mm -hmm. um how'd you get into uh cycling mountain biking oh boy well that's a story i grew up as a baby i had terrible asthma and so my parents were always schlepping me to the emergency room all the er doctors knew me by my first name at kaiser um I was always on medication, breathing machines, steroids, the whole bit. And so I was told from a very young age that I would never do any uh, endurance-related sports because my lung capacity was so weak. And so my parents put my sister and I in dance, and we were always in music. And so uh, I started playing piano at age three and guitar at age six, and my sister piano and violin. And so we grew up playing and performing and singing and um that was more the the focus in my childhood. I tried, I dabbled in a bunch of different sports. And then of course, when I hit high school, it was more about surfing and snowboarding. And I gravitated more towards the extreme sports like that, that didn't require any lungs mm-hmm. <laughs> really. And so when I was about 20, I was snowboarding and went off a box rail and misjudged the landing and tore my ACL. Oh boy. And I went into the doctors and they said well you know you're not going to be able to run on a treadmill or do anything like that for at least a year and I was like well I don't know what else I can do at the gym and they said well you can ride a bike do you ride a bike and I probably hadn't ridden a bike since I was about nine years old uh, so but some of my friends were getting into mountain biking and so Leslie Williams was racing for the path and she was getting her start um, doing endurance single speed racing. And so I was friends with her brother and 
they took me to the Path Bike Shop. I went to the very back and only talked to Brian Blair because I was scared of all the guys. <laughs> and I bought my very first Kona Lava Dome. I think it was 2002. And I couldn't bike up or down a curb for the life of me. And obviously my lungs were very weak. But one thing that I learned early on, you don't tell us, but fire redhead, she can't do something. <laughs> and so doctors told me I can't do this. And gosh darn it, I was going to prove them wrong. So, so why single speed? Well, that came a long time later. I just that dream of doing something that seems so hard and so foreign to me. And I love the simplicity of it. And Eric Williams, Leslie's husband, helped me build my very first single. Well, he built most of it, and I kind of stood around and watched. But we got my first single <laughs> speed built, and it was a goal of mine to do the counting coup on it. No formal training. I hadn't even done Black Star to Motorway, and let alone Upper and Lower Holy Gym. But I was determined, and so I did. 2009, I did the counting coup on my single speed. I thought I was going to die. I wanted to give up going up Maple Springs to the peak. Uh, I was hallucinating, but I finished it. And something happened when I crossed the finish line. I fell in love with, with mountain bike racing and longer distances appealed to me. Mm -hmm. So I figured I was going to try to go for it. Well, what was the, what were the challenges to, to training, you know, endurance? I mean, it's got to be different than just, you know, let's say over the hump or Kenda cup or something like right. that. Right. Well, the longer stuff, you know, there's, it helped with what I love so much about the bike. So I love going out into the Santa Ana mountains and being gone for six, seven hours at a time and just getting lost in nature. I absolutely love that. And I think with cross country training, there's a bit of that, but the shorter bursts of all out efforts, I just didn't find that I was as good at it. Whereas I really truly enjoyed the idea of being on a bike all day long and so it just very organically started to morph and happen for me to where I went from counting coup to doing the vision quest races and then that you, kind can of you describe a little bit about this, this the uh, vision quest vision quest yeah it's uh th that left turn at the bottom of holy gym man it's it's brutal <laughs> it's real easy you want to turn right and then just go out the wash to the finish line but instead you hang left and you go up the tribuco trail then you peel left to west horse thief and you hike a bike for close to an hour and then you do more of the main divide then you drop down tribuco and out the wash and it's all done and i i again i just fell in love with it and thankfully I had people around me and living in Orange County too we don't realize unless you get out of state just how steep our terrain is and how technical it is mm -hmm. and so having an education on trails like ours we're, we're really lucky to live where we do and it was an amazing education for me on the bike having to learn you know I was taken out to Choya and told all right go ahead and, and no tips no nothing I had mm -hmm. to stop a bunch because my asthma was bothering me and I want to give up and Choya just seemed to last forever. It probably took me half an hour to get up it. And then single speeding, learning how to single speed up Mathis and Choya. I mean, it just took determination and not giving up. And thankfully I had the right people around me kind of setting examples mm -hmm. for me along the way. So, so, I mean, what does it take to be an endurance racer? 
You know, I would say that it's very little athleticism and a lot of mental. And yes, it requires the training. Yes, it requires the physical. And it, it requires the time on the, on the bike, in mm-hmm. the saddle. However, there's so much mental to it. And I felt like getting into it, I was about 28 or so, 29, when I started more of the endurance races and the longer stuff, I was still fairly young. And at first that surprised me that most of the women racing out there were a few years older than me. And then as time went on, it, it kind of settled in. I realized it was about, it was, it was about the mental maturity level, mm-hmm. you know, being able to handle what happens when you bonk, you know, what happens when you're not feeling good, what happens when you crash and what happens when all you want to do is go to sleep in the middle of the night, but you have to get back on the bike and pedal more. I would say that most of it is is mental grit and determination. Did you have to uh, um, find some books or go on online to figure out like what it, like the training, the nutrition to, to to do these long races? Thankfully, you know, I my first coach was Damon Robertson back when he lived here instead of in Bend, Oregon. But he was he was my first coach, and he was a phenomenal coach, and he really took the time to not only write the plan for me, but explain to me the reasons why, and also how the importance of recovery. Because for me, so much of it is I want to go, go, go all the time, and I want to push my body all the time. And I think that's very true of a lot of athletes. And having somebody tell you, no, this is a recovery day, you're going to get on your bike, and you're going to spin, and let great grandmas pass you on their bike cruise, on their, <laughs> on their beach cruisers. Like those things, they're very humbling, but thankfully I had that foundation and I learned early on in cycling for me that those things were important, they were worth taking the time to do. And so I'm, I'm very grateful to Damon for, for the years I had with him. And then after that, it has been really about the skill of listen, like learning how to listen to your body mm-hmm. and learning how to shut it down when you need to. And yes, I've, I've read tons of books. I'm a huge geek. I, I love Lord of the Rings. I do crossword puzzles. Oh, boy. I, oh yeah, I'm a huge nerd. And so I, I love reading and I love reading latest studies and what the people I admire are doing and their books and mm-hmm. all of those things. And so I just feel like I've continued to educate myself. And now I do write my own training plans and also... I'm a firm believer in parts of the year where you just, it's a free for all, mm-hmm. you know, don't, don't look at the stats, just go have fun, listen to your body, go do whatever you want for a little while and, and enjoy it. That way when the structure kicks back in, you know, you, you don't get drained or sick of it mm-hmm. or anything like that. So let's say somebody wants to do, uh, like the eight hours of, uh, of Vail Lake an endurance race. I hear uh, you're doing that here, Lou. <laughs> Coming up here pretty soon, November. Yeah, uh-huh. see what happens mm-hmm. on that race. You're gonna kill it. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta beat Dave Harwick. That's, That's right, goal. you do. <laughs> <laughs> so let's say somebody like me wants to race that. Mm. Um, what are the first steps to to get into have the endurance and mental uh, strength to do that? You know, the first steps, and and we've talked about this before. You know, is definitely slowing down your pace and start getting your body used to being in the saddle for a few more hours a week than it is used to. You know, the the worst mistake you can make is just go all out and 
increase your volume tenfold in the first week. You're going to get burned out. You might get injured and you're not going to want to pick up a bike again. You're going to mm -hmm. be really tired the following week. So the idea is to build it up slowly and then dial back your pace. Every ride should not be, but it doesn't have to be all out. It doesn't have to be redlined. You can go for just pretty recovery rides and explore your neighborhood, you know, and then just make those loops a little bit longer. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have time in a day, you know, I'm a firm believer in two days. So I'll go for a little lunch ride. And then after work, I'll go for a little jog or another ride if, if I'm being a good girl. And try, if those are easy ways to kind of add up the hours, but not take extra stress on your body. You know, the difference between us and the pros out there, like we we have jobs, we have mm -hmm. busy lives, we have stress, and those things need to be taken into account during training because training in and of itself is a stressor. Mm -hmm. And life stress happens and it absolutely affects how you do on the bike. So all of those things, I mean, it's a fine balance. And some weeks I hit the mark and some weeks I definitely don't hit the mark. But trying to find an organic flow to it all and some fluidity over time you put in more hours, you slow down your pace, and then you start working in a block of speed work. And then every block that you have has a recovery week. Okay. And um, those sorts of things. The idea is you build, build, build for a few weeks, and then you kind of mellow out and taper for another week, and then you build on top of it. And it's during that recovery that your muscle fibers, your endurance, your organs, every internal part of you kind of rebuilds itself and gets the body used to more stress. So the recovery is where it builds. It's well, not during part. the workout. Yeah, it really is the most important part. And that was one thing that Damon turned me on to was foam rolling. Now, I love to hate foam rolling. I hate it sometimes. It's just miserable to do and it hurts, but it hurts so good if I'm good about it. And I too go, for, go through the ups and downs of being good at foam rolling and doing it every day and then I'll not touch the foam roller for sometimes far too long <laughs> but we don't talk about that <laughs> but those things are important you know the stretching the the daily movement the things you do off the bike are just as important sometimes if not more important than what you do on the bike mm -hmm. so one of the tools would be like a heart rate monitor mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. and then just mm -hmm. to keep your heart rate down to keep you honest yeah exactly so many times I'll get out on the bike without a heart rate monitor and do a little loop in the neighborhood and think I'm doing a recovery ride. Then I'll go for another one, same pace the next day and realize, oh man, I overshot the mark. You know, mm -hmm. I'm, too, I'm too far out. And then also too simultaneously, if I'm doing a speed work block or some intervals or power intervals, I'll get out there and get the heart rate up and sometimes, man, this feels like I'm working really, really hard. And you look down at the heart rate monitor, you're like, I got to squeeze out more beats per minute. This isn't hard enough. Mm -hmm. And one of the books I was reading last year, it, it broke it down really simply in one sentence. Most, most athletes, their easy rides aren't easy enough and their hard rides aren't hard enough. And that really got me thinking. And Is it a mental thing or what do you think it is? A lot of it is mental. Some Sometimes, too, it's your body telling you that we're not recovered enough to get a quality hard session in. Mm -hmm. So back off and take another day. Hmm. That sort of thing. Which is hard to do because it's you, so you want to just keep going and going and going. Totally. Uh-huh. Yeah. It, it really is. It really, really is. 
So, um, you know, I'm you're helping me trying to get this this sure, race going. Sure. So I'm excited. You know, going um, down, Dave. <laughs> so I was uh, I, I rode yesterday, and, mm. and uh, you know, uh, my brother lives in Bora. He's got a Garmin mm. watch, uh, you know, Vivo Active HR, or whatever. And I, I'm now I'm learning to to, mm-hmm. to see where I'm at in my heart mm-hmm. rate. You know, I'm like, oh, dude, like I'm I'm going past it, and I gotta slow down. So, right. yeah, um, it does take a lot of uh, mental strength to, mm-hmm. to to tone it down a little bit. You yeah. know. Yeah. Because ultimately you have a goal, and yeah. you know if you're not slowing down a little bit to achieve that goal, then you're not gonna get there. Exactly. Yeah, and also too, what you're, you know, these are applicable things that you're taking in and learning for race day. So during any given, you know, the 12 hours of Temecula, or the eight-hour races that I've done, there's always a lap or two where I feel like garbage, and mm-hmm. I don't want to go out, and I don't want to pedal anymore, and you'll hit that you'll hit the ebbs and flows during any given endurance race and what this is teaching you right now is basically and what it teaches me as well is I can have a slow lap Mm -hmm. I can tell myself all right Kimmy why don't you take a recovery lap why don't you just go mellow for this lap and then reassess let your fuel kick in and then come back to the pits and grab some water maybe allow myself a five or 10 minute break to stretch and rehydrate and stretch my back out and then get back on the bike and then game on for the next three hours or something like that. So it's really teaching yourself how to slow down. You can still be, that's the beauty of an of endurance racing. Thankfully for me, I can take those little breaks. You know, I can say, okay, for the next 10 minutes, you can lower your heart rate in this long race and it's really not gonna make that much of a difference. Or mm-hmm. a 24 hour race, same thing. All right, can we, you know, it's the middle of the night, you don't want to be out here. Just go at a really slow pace and get through the lap. Just keep putting one pedal stroke forward. Well, let's let's talk about that twenty-four hour race. Mm, you just mm-hmm. did one, right? Not too long ago. I did. Yeah, the twenty-four hours of Old Pueblo. How out, was that? Oh my goodness! It was. It rained cats and dogs and froze my booty off for twenty-four hours exactly outside of Tucson, Arizona. But I love the twenty-four hours of Old Pueblo. Epic Rides puts on such amazing races and events and I'm so honored to be a part a part of them and 24 hours I broke into 24-hour racing last year at Old Pueblo and I I survived it I I did all right and then I did another the 25 hours of Frog Hollow in November and that one I I did I surprised myself and did better than I thought I would I won that race oh really thank you yeah female solo single speed category wow and then at Old Pueblo that was that was an adventure this last one i mean the yes of course there's rain there's wind the rain kicked up about and two hours into the 24-hour race and i froze and had to jump in the van with the heater on and fend off hypothermia and that put me in last place female single speed and then i had to kind of reformulate my race plan and all right try to ride through the night without you know 45 minute nap or an hour nap or something because at the end of the day you're not here to just survive some bad weather you're here to race that's that's a fine that's a fine line it's a fine line it is a very fine line and that sometime in the middle of the night i asked my placement and um i was told if you cross through the timing tent right now you'll be in second place wow and i was blown away and that's when that like the race right kicked there, huh? in. Yeah, yeah, it totally was. <laughs> I think I was about eight or nine hours in, and 
chowing down on some bacon and some troop racing roastery tire tracks coffee and it was delicious and <laughs> i was warm and i was in dry clothes and so, i heard so i was na- in second so, place and i was like go go time so so you were nine nine hours already into the race mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so you so you kind of slightly hit the wall there because you, you know the cold and stuff like mm-hmm. that and you had to jump in the van and mm-hmm. so you had to kind of reset yourself mm-hmm. mentally yeah and then you went out there yeah i do really well with the reward system during laps so if i'm really <laughs> tired out there if i'm really tired and worn down i'll be like okay next lap you get some bacon and some coffee you know lap after this you'll get to take a nap or if you squeak two more out you'll get to take a nap and uh things like that but with this particular race i knew i couldn't nap so it was like okay you can take a little longer of a dinner break now and then get back out and try to bang out two more, you know, in the middle of the night. And so that works really well for me. That way I can brace, break the race down piecemeal. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't seem like, oh, I got to ride from noon yeah. to noon. Yeah. I, I don't see it that way. It's like, okay, try to break it down. So get the first six hours in. So the first three laps or four laps in. So no. So the first three laps, no breaks. Very minimal. Yeah, okay. water bottles, the guys check the bike, and that's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, very, very minimal. I like to kind of get settled in, and then I start to warm up, um, usually around the four to six hour mark, and then I'm feeling wait, all right. Wait, you, you warm up in the four, six hours? <laughs> During the 24 hour race, wow. yeah. I, I, I don't go fast, Lou. This is something that you need to understand. I am not, I am not fast on the bike. I can just go for a while. So it's not like I'm redlining my certainly not like I'm redlining my heart rate for six hours and so so what's your what's your heart rate average heart rate at these kind of races where you for want, race where like do you this it's very it aerobic see that's the thing about mountain biking and about about mountain biking I would say is there's always going to be a punchy climb where mm-hmm. you get up into the threshold area yeah. you know during races I don't look at the heart rate monitor. And especially during 24-hour races, there's a good 10-hour period where I can't even see it in the middle of the night, you know? So I don't really analyze the statistics until until afterwards, until mm-hmm. I get home. And then I can kind of see where I felt good, and then I can see where I just could not get my heart rate up. I couldn't get my legs to push hard. It was just cruising pace. It was aerobic pace. And... Um, then you know I'll, I'll see the ebbs and flows during any given race but that's the thing about mountain biking we have hills we have mountains you know yeah. there's you have a, a long descent where your heart rate you know may skyrocket a little bit if it's a technical section but you've got you know big dips and and big influxes so do you notice your heart rate uh, uh, heart rate spike up at night you know because of the just the unknown you know what I mean like you're out there you know maybe you're by yourself for a little bit you <laughs> sure, know all you have is sure. a front light you know, you, you know, it's not a kind of like a floodlight, it's more like, a, like a like a pencil beam, right? And you're like, oh crap! Like there's wild animals out here, and I'm like riding out here yeah, by myself. Yeah, I mean that that happens usually by the time it's nighttime for the night for for lights and everything. I I love riding at nighttime. I I don't mind it at all. And some of these LED lights, they're so bright that it's brighter than noon where you're going, and so technical terrain it doesn't cast as many shadows mm-hmm. as like the sun would at 3 p.m. Yeah. So everything's lit up. So you don't necessarily see that, oh, that was a rock that had a two-foot drop on it. You know, mm-hmm. you don't see it. You just roll right over it. So I don't mind riding at nighttime, but <laughs> there were a couple of times, at tw- oh, this one time at 12 Hours of Temecula, it was my last lap or my second to last lap. Something rustled in the bushes. 
and I just, I jumped and started speeding up and like this frog just started jumping across the trail. I'm like, oh my gosh. And sure enough, the heart rate skyrocket. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, oh great. I got freaked out by a frog. And then I've never been out to, to like a, a 24 hour race, mm-hmm. but uh, I've, I've done um, off-road racing, like Baja mm-hmm. stuff. And mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's kind of where people shine at night because yeah. uh, anybody can ride during the day, mm-hmm. you know, anybody can mm-hmm. race during the day, but at nighttime, you know, mm-hmm. that's when, you know, people that, that can do it, that's when they, yeah. that's when they can put the, you know, the distance, you know what I mean? Or, yep. or the laps in for, for mountain bike racing. Exactly. And certainly at old, this last old Pueblo, as much as I was miserable with the weather, it served me well. Mm-hmm. I was able to get up in the middle of the night and, you know, some of the other girls were taking naps and long breaks and that's how I was able to fend off third place from catching up to me. You know, she had taken a long break in the middle of the night, whereas I kept going, even if it was at a very slow pace and even if I was miserable, I just told myself, like, just do not lie down, try to stay on the bike. And Do you listen to music? You know, I used to. I used to have to training racing i was i always had my earbuds in now i'll listen to it on training rides i'll put an earbud in and i'll have my music on i listen to music before my races like definitely before a long race it's i really Metallica need to get it. It, yeah, it, no. it it ain't no classical music right <laughs> <laughs> it's like death metal yeah no Some actually it's the, <laughs> it's the opposite i listen to very mellow Simon music and Garfunkel? No. <laughs> don't knock simon and garfunkel they're awesome <laughs> Uh, but yeah, very mellow music because I get so nervous mm-hmm. and I get really anxious on the bike. And so I, I'm always very like nauseous and scared. And mm-hmm. so before any given race, you know, I'll go through like mental medi- meditation and I'll listen to very relaxing music and I'll really try to get into the zone and wrap my head around, okay. around the race. Mm-hmm. Well, what are you taking like? For a race, are you just drinking straight water? Or are you taking like uh, supplements? Or what kind of food are you taking these races? During a 24-hour race, I'll go to Whole Foods ahead of time. Well, I'll make some of my own, you know, Kimmy's Paleo Balls, which are absolutely delicious. So I'll make a bunch of those. For What's 20... the recipe? <laughs> it's a secret. It's a secret. <laughs> is, is you it, might it, see them in it, stores it, eventually one day if I get around to it. Yeah, cool. Is it FDA approved? <laughs> yes, thankfully it's FDA approved. <laughs> <laughs> there's a little crack cocaine in it oh, just see, trace right. them out i knew there was something in there sure <laughs> <laughs> so i'll make a ton of those but then i've learned also too to during a 24-hour race like any nutritional stuff you know i'll i'll just let my body decide so if i want geez the 25 hours of frog hollow uh one of my teammates travis was not racing it and so he was our you know kitchen wench for the day Mm -hmm. right and so he was making oh man he was making meatballs and bacon and spaghetti and tomato sauce and burgers and like a coffee of course and all of these things and i dutifully brought you know my giant bags of paleo balls that i had made thinking i would want those but that race was very demanding for the gearing ratio i was running and so uh relied a lot more on on my muscular structure versus my my aerobic capacity 
And so my muscles were kind of breaking down during that race. And I was, I could not get enough of those meatballs in my system. I think there's a picture of me floating around, like holding the huge tub of spaghetti and meatballs and bacon drizzled in it, just scooping it at five in the morning because nothing else sounded delicious. So I've Mm. learned now, I just go to Whole Foods and grab anything because anything might sound good on any given lap. Um, I definitely train low, train low carb and no sugar and mostly train on just water, but I'll race high. It's it's a matter if I want cookies in the middle of the night, I'm going to have some cookies in the middle of the night. Uh, uh, I was there at Vail a while mm-hmm. ago, and, and there was an, an endurance race going on, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, we were pitted next to somebody that was doing that race, mm-hmm. and uh, we were helping out Chris Taylor. He oh, did, yeah. uh, I think he did like the, I don't see, the 12-hour mm-hmm. by himself, and so we were, we were helping him out, mm-hmm. and he ended up winning his class, a solo class, and nice. I, I think he... he you know, he ended up racing like a hundred and something miles or something yeah, like that. I don't know. Yeah, it was yeah. it was amazing. You yeah. know, so we we keep we kept feeding him. You know, mm-hmm. and the, the the pit next to us, um, every other lap she was drinking Red Bull. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, you know, I mean, you'll you'll see all sorts of. For everybody, it's different. You know, I I remember being out of twelve hours of Temecula and. One of the guys doing the solo single speed, he would have his guys get ramen and pepsi ready for him mid-lap i mean it really and other guys are chowing down on burritos and i personally i I get sick to my stomach easily i have a very finicky stomach and so i have to be careful about that Mm -hmm. but um yeah it's 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 a smorgasbord of delicious food if you will (laughs) so so you so you're saying train train low Mm -hmm. so um and you you know you're on the uh keto right yeah yeah I've I've been at the ketogenic thing now for about three years and that also too was a very organic development I I go in and out of it throughout the year and right now I'm getting back into it I am in it thanks again. a lot Kimmy yeah I know I know it's <laughs> terrible poor Lou has to deal with with me you know what it you know what I'm, I'm looking at the finish line you know mm-hmm. it's it's gonna be it's mm-hmm. gonna be worth it once uh once the yeah. race comes comes around it absolutely is you know it right now i'm hating it yeah absolutely and and you'll you will you can punch me in the head for a a month the first month is terrible you know you're retraining your body to from burning glucose to burning fat for fuel instead and i've i've never felt better it's also a very anti-inflammatory diet and for me that really helped with my asthma just getting into before it was before ketosis i you know was slowly but surely cutting out the can, excess can you, carbs can you talk about that in, mm-hmm. in case people don't know what what that what that is yeah keto yeah absolutely again it's basically i, I would say cutting all of all of the sugar certainly and sugar is in almost every food out there so you really got to get good at reading labels and cutting out the carbs, the processed food, and then you're upping your healthy fats, upping avocados, coconut oil, MCT oil, um, avocado oil, grapeseed oil, like these are all very healthy fats Mm -hmm. and upping them, you know, grass-fed butter, things like that. Um, It's not necessarily like an Atkins diet and that's where I think a lot of people um, burn out on it or don't feel the effects of it is because they're eating just way too much protein Mm -hmm. and I'll go like a week without necessarily having animal protein. I get it from other sources like nuts and things like that. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, it's all the veggies you want, minimal fruit. If you're an athlete training, you know, obviously fruit is 
you kind of need some of the extra natural occurring fructose. But for the most part, it's just very healthy grass-fed beef, grass-fed meat, um, healthy farm-raised eggs, organic, as much as you can, and then upping your fats, you know, instead of just putting one tablespoon of olive oil on your salad, you know, up it to three. It's, mm-hmm. it's not hard to do. I'll go home and have two avocados, you know. It, it's really satiating. It's easy to do. It's not hard. It feels good. And then eventually it trains your body from burning glucose into burning, yes, its own fat for fuel, but you're kind of helping jumpstart that process by feeding it healthy healthy fats so it's a longer burning fuel okay so that you don't have to rely on a goo every single 45 minutes or half an hour or an hour or something so, so like that. so your body's providing its own energy it is providing its own energy and for me i can go usually anywhere between a four to six hour ride running straight water and be be fine now the flip side of that is i don't have a ton of the high end top end power It'll it drains me a little bit, you know. So how can how can somebody that's that's on this program on this? It's not a diet; it's more like yeah. a lifestyle, right? Yeah, it's just a lifestyle. So how can you how can we regain regain that? Mm-hmm. The power, you know. Again, that also comes from the training low, race high. You know, have that extra goo. Have have a honey stinger gel or have a, a little bit of your preferred race nutrition. Just see how long you can go in between without. Mm-hmm. You know, instead of setting the timer every half an hour, because in keto, you're not going to be hungry every half an hour. You're not going to want to dump sugar in your body every half an hour. Mm-hmm. So maybe go until you start to feel a little bit more drained. And then it's like, oh, okay, you know, I could go for a gel right now. And that's totally fine. So a lot of it is being in tune with your body and just learning to listen to it and not gravitating towards what maybe people tell you you should do or shouldn't do. And just kind of, it, it kind of letting your body be the judge of it, mm-hmm. letting your body decide. But that first month, I, I'm not gonna lie, it's it's tough. So, how, it's how, really tough. so speaking of time, how long does it take before your body gets into ketosis? Usually, it takes some people two and a half weeks, some people three, three and a half weeks. What are the symptoms? Symptoms of being in ketosis, you're Grumpy. not moody. <laughs> no, you're not. It's the opposite. <laughs> that first three weeks until you get there, it's a. Uh, don't talk you can to me. feel fluish, yeah. Just wear a "don't talk to me" sign, or I'll punch you in the head. Um, you'll feel drained, even mellow rides. You'll feel sluggish and slow, and you just got to keep your eye on the finish line. Just okay, another two weeks from now, I'm gonna feel a lot better, and realize that it it does take some time. It's an investment. Mm-hmm. A lot of people, I mean, you should you should back off your training and only do very mellow training for those first three or so weeks because mm-hmm. you're going to feel like garbage. garbage. Yeah. 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 Some people don't. Some people just say it. They were a little crabby for a few days mm-hmm. detoxing off sugar and that was it. But the food cravings go away once you're in ketosis, which is wonderful. Some of the habits need to be retrained. So, you know, a lot of people, I grew up in a household, you eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner and you mm-hmm. have your after school snack, you know, and those things get ingrained to us when we're young and Sometimes it's about getting out of those habits. So looking at the clock and saying, oh, it's noon, it's time for lunch. And then, oh, wait, no, is this a habit or am I really hungry right now? Mm-hmm. And those sorts of things. So it's... Um, That's true. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a learning process. It's a, 
one that I've certainly nerded out on and has worked very well for me. I'm certainly no doctor. I have yeah. no PhD. All I know is my own experience and what has worked for me personally. Mm-hmm. I feel younger than I think I ever have, and I feel better than I ever have, and my body seems to like it. I seem to perform okay. So you know? it's it's not for everybody? I, I would say it, it might not be for everybody. However, I am a firm believer in trying to cut back on the processed garbage, mm-hmm. trying to cut back on the sugar, and trying to buy organic when you can. You it's, know? Just, it's tough because... It is tough. It's so expensive. It is. You know, it is. And, and, and that's, how, can, uh, how can people you know, make that switch to eat healthy when right. it's, it's like twice the price? Yeah. You know, you get avocado, yep. let's say it's a dollar. Yep. And then you go organic, it's like three bucks. Yeah. You're like, dude, like I can have three of these instead yeah. of one of those. Exactly. So it, well, it's Well, avocado hard. has a shell on it. So any vegetable or fruit that has a casing like that, it's a little bit better and it's okay to not do organic. Okay. You know, I was told if it if it's got something around it covering it, it's it's not as bad. But if you're mm-hmm. diving in for an apple, like try your best to do organic. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm I'm on a budget too, and it's hard. And so I I I pick and choose where I can and do the healthiest and the best that I can do. Yeah, you go to Whole Foods like every week. Oh, like, oh, dude, dude like, I'd I, be I gotta broke. find another job. I'd be so broke. <laughs> Thankfully, like Costco sells organic now. Yeah. And Amazon, you can pick the ripeness of your of your produce, you know, mm-hmm. if you buy your groceries online. It's kind but of a trip. It's such a trip. I know. Yeah. So, um, what's your, what's your best and worst racing experience mm. so far in your career? Well, I would probably say that my best racing experience would have to be this last 24 hours of Old Pueblo. I love the environment. Like, can we talk about the environment for Absolutely, a second out yeah. there? Whatever, it's it's your, insane. It's, it's all about you. No. <laughs> No, it's about you, Lou. But the the environment, the atmosphere, the people, I would encourage anybody, even if you, you don't race a bike, or if you do and you, you prefer the, the short stuff, put together a big team and go out there and have fun. I mean, everybody in the middle of the night, you're looking at costumes. There's a whiskey tree halfway through the lap, and there's always boom boxes and people with blow horns and oh it's just such a good time the atmosphere is so amazing and it's so attractive and just exhilarating so Mm -hmm. being out there in and of itself is cool but this last this last one was very special in that the weather was horrible all odds were kind of against me and I I didn't think for a million years that I could I could pull off a second place finish and at, at that race so it was it was a very special race for me that year so that that was cool and then my worst racing experience I would say 2011's vision quest was probably one of the worst I crashed on upper holy gym and impaled my arm by a oh boy. broken manzanita shrub and I had to hike. I couldn't really ride because the innards of some the inside of my arm was coming out. And so you're kidding me. And now, thankfully, um, Laura <laughs> Hicks Morris and Mike Morris stopped for me, and they had you know a, a duct tape or something, and we were able to get it closed up. But it was just the swelling was too bad. So 
I had to abandon the race and hike down upper and lower holy gym and then get driven to the emergency room. Damn. Uh, so that that was a pretty bad one. This last counting coup, I I called it during that race as well. Uh, was it the big mud bog? Yeah, Black Star was very muddy and miserable, but that's for me. That's not really a, an excuse. I. I was just, I was over it. I was still coming back from some pretty hefty injuries. And, you know, I just, I wasn't, mentally I wasn't in it anymore. Mm -hmm. And so halfway up the paved part of Maple Springs, I was like, hmm, this could affect me later in the season. My ribs broken, like I'm just done. So yeah. I turned around and cried the whole way back to the car. <laughs> 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 but yeah, those, those would probably be, be the worst. Uh, let's talk about your bucket list. Oh boy, my bucket list. <laughs> I am so excited to be doing La Ruta this year. Talk about um, that. Well, it's dubbed the hardest mountain bike race in the world. So naturally it's been on my bucket list ever since, you know, I first started racing. I remember the pros in our area at the time were Monique, Pua, and Is she still racing? Manny. She's around. I, I haven't seen her at a race, but I, I know she's still involved and, mm -hmm. you know, she's still she's still around. I, I haven't seen her in a little while, but um, but yeah, she's such a sweetheart. And Manny Prado at the time, they did efforts down there at La Ruta, and I just remember wanting to put it on my bucket list so bad and never thinking I'd ever be able to get there. Mm -hmm. And this was kind of the year leading up to it. You know, I've got a good foundation of a year and a half, two years into 24-hour training and racing and the aerobic base and everything leading up to it. Um, and now this summer I've been doing more speed work and more cross-country races and just getting my ass handed to me, but that's okay. It's fun, it's making me faster, and that's good. So that when now the, the base training and process is coming back into play and I'm doing some running again for it so that um, hopefully I'll, I'll be able to complete a solo effort at La Ruta this year. Is it a, a one-day race, couple-day races? It's a three-day stage race. It? Yeah, three-day stage race from one coast to the other coast of Costa Rica. And each day isn't, mileage-wise, isn't that long, comparatively speaking. I think their longest day is somewhere around 60 to 65 miles. But I know for a fact on that 60, 65 mile day it's like 22,000 feet of elevation gain wow. I know like you're either going straight up or straight down so and, and a lot of it too I mean you're going through the jungle through the rainforest you're crossing you know anaconda infested mud rivers and piranhas and I, I don't know so, so you're gonna play some CCR I think so <laughs> <laughs> better run through the jungle that's right exactly <laughs> oh my gosh no, but I'm I'm really pumped. I'm really excited. My my head's really in this one, and and I'm thrilled that I get to do it and represent Troop and um, and go down there and do it. So it'll be it'll be awesome. So so that's on your bucket list. You're gonna mm -hmm. hopefully achieve that and mm -hmm. you know come home with the, the finish. Right? I'll, I mean, I'll come home alive. What's, like the, what's, <laughs> what's the what's the attrition? Um, what's what's the attrition number uh, for you those know, kind of races? To be completely honest with you, I no, I I think it's. It's not that much. I think people that do La Ruta efforts have done their research, know what they're in for. Obviously, there's a huge local interest in doing La Ruta in Costa Rica, and man, they're animals. They're amazing on the bike. And so 
I think people that that get into this race kind of know what they're what they're in for. I mm-hmm. don't know what the rate is because I, I I haven't really looked into that aspect of it. Um, but yeah, I would imagine. It's got uh, to it's, it's be up there, yeah. you know. Yeah. I mean, that's but, three days of racing, right? Yeah, yeah, three days of racing. Anything can happen. Anything really can happen. Oh yeah, I know. <laughs> There's some pictures online. Like if you research La Ruta de los Conquistadores, it, uh, the pictures will show up of just like gnarly snakes in the mud, you know, mm-hmm. and just uh, people going up like mud rivers, going down oh, and walking their bikes. Oh yeah. Yeah. So it'll it'll be a good time. I'm, yeah. I'm pumped. Okay. <laughs> Um, something that you know doesn't really get brought up that much. How do how can we get more women into mm. into into uh, mountain biking and mm-hmm. not just mountain biking but racing? Because racing, you do, yeah. the, the numbers are yeah. stacked up against women. When you yeah. go to a race, there's more obviously there's more there's more guys than yeah. women racing. So yeah, how can absolutely. we how can we increase that number? I feel like it all comes down to confidence on the bike and enjoyment on the bike. My case was different i i had people i looked up to and people that got me into it but the skills building and stuff like that there were no women's rides mm-hmm. there were no women's clubs really at the time and so i was just kind of out there to learn slowly by slowly and it took me years of you know just to learn how to descend a rock garden and all of those things and i'd go for group rides and try to emulate the guys but it, it just took a long time and it's warmed my heart so much to see all of these women's clubs and women's rides and those sorts of things and I feel like a lot of it has to do with enjoyment and confidence and a lot of these local races um, I've I've talked to some women out there that are that are scared of all the people that are out there mm-hmm. of the bumping that kind of happens and things like that and that's where I really try to encourage like well get, get outside of Orange County you know mm-hmm. go go do the eight hours of Temecula on a team or, or the four hours of Temecula on a team and just go at your own pace and have fun with it. And the most important thing is to continue having fun with it. Mm-hmm. And I feel like a lot of these races that are cropping up are very friendly for, for beginners, for novice racers, mm-hmm. not novice riders, but novice racers. Mm-hmm. And once you get a couple of those under your belt, you feel the high when you cross the finish line. You mm-hmm. want to do more. Yep. So I feel like it's just a matter of, and, and then also to those of us who have been doing it a few years, you know, it's we should absolutely encourage the new women coming in there, you mm-hmm. know, showing up an hour or two mm-hmm. earlier to watch some of the women's beginner races start and finish and just cheering anybody and everybody on mm-hmm. who who's on a bike is really cool that's one of the things that i love about it but when i'm doing like a 12-hour race or whatever kind of race if there's a woman i'm a woman i'm passing or going by who looks a little newer on the bike like slowing your pace down just saying a few words of encouragement mm-hmm. it makes me feel better you know selfishly yeah. it makes me feel really good but also too i know that she's pretty pumped about it too mm-hmm. and so having that just letting your passion show on the bike and why it's awesome right. and getting people feeling like they're a part of it you know i shared with you that i was so scared walking into the path bike shop for the first time that i immediately bolted for brian blair's little corner mm-hmm. and I, w- I was so scared to talk to anybody else well now the path has kim megan they've got women working there paulina you know and so i feel like a lot of bike shops now have women employees that are able to make 
women feel more comfortable just walking yeah. into a bike shop. So it's not so intimidating. Super cool. yeah, yeah, exactly. Because for, for sure. me, it certainly was intimidating for a few years there. That then I got to know everybody and walk in and the guys would look at me and say, why aren't you taking your bike in sooner and get angry? And, you know, just <laughs> yeah. you, you get to know the people and, and realize they love bikes too. Mm-hmm. And anybody out at any given race loves riding bikes and they all started the same place you did at some point in time. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So l- let's get into what, uh, your, your livelihood now, your career. Mm, yeah. What do you, what do you get, career. what do you get going on nowadays? Well, I, I'm really excited. I get to brand manage for Smanya Saddles, and I, I was a hairstylist for 17 years, so I have a degree in cosmetology, and that's about it. Is there a future it. for my hair? I'm there is. To... <laughs> you've got some awesome hair going on right now, Lou. I mean, it's curling in all sorts of different directions. Yeah. <laughs> Don't think I didn't notice when I, when I came in. Um, but I, the beautiful part about doing hair, you know, I ran my own business for 17 years, and I really had an education in running my own business and marketing myself and those sorts of things. So I knew I wanted to get into the cycling industry and that chapter in my life had closed um, doing hair at the salon and I knew I'd be starting a new career. And so I put resumes out there and I was so thrilled. I got to start work with with NASCO at Red Monkey Mm -hmm. and I just, I watched and learned so much and so much there. And it was so much fun and I enjoyed it. And then the time kind of came and I got offered this this brand managing position and I, I I accepted and it's just been it's been so awesome, you know. It's it, it's a little bit of everything. Mm-hmm. I like we were talking about, you know, the new website just launched and all the cool stuff that I got to nerd out on going into that and the, the sales aspect, the global aspect, the global market aspect, I, I'm just, I'm so blessed to be able to be in this industry and also be able to work my way in mm-hmm. quickly and kind of be in the middle of it. You what know? are the challenges? The challenges, you know, I... Dealing with people? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. No, I, I love the people aspect of it. You know, the challenges is, is comes with balance, as mm-hmm. any job is. You know, it's like, okay, well, what's the most important thing first? And these people need to be attended to. And this this content needs to get written for the website. This event's happening this weekend. And so vendor fees and those things and trying to write blurbs and um, social media outreach and things like that. And those would be that's the fun of it you know Mm -hmm. it's it's so many different things so many different aspects and behind the scenes aspects in in doing what I get to do Mm -hmm. and ultimately it's like I I do love the product and I have a passion for it and I personally ride it 24 hours sitting on a bike Mm -hmm. I want a really comfortable saddle and I want a lightweight one because I'm a weight weenie and I feel like I have that with Smania. I've never run a more comfortable saddle. And that happened before I started working for them and, and ripping the brand. And so it really helps to have a passion for not only the brand that you work for, but also cycling as a whole. You know, right. the fact that I get to sit here and tell you my story naturally, you know, I, I do that with other people, tell them about the the saddle company Mm -hmm. and then they're all of a sudden interested in running that saddle it's not like i'm selling you anything i'm sharing my experience with you what sets them apart from like any other saddle Mm -hmm. company 
Well, the the parent company behind Smania has been working or has been making saddles for decades. Their experience and their their perfectionism, their attention to detail and their expertise, you know, they've they've got a lot of experience making quality saddles. And they wanted to start this high-end brand, Smania, and um, they wanted to do it right. And the engineering, the design process behind it, I mean, it it takes a very lengthy process, one I never even knew until getting into it. the the engineering and behind the saddles themselves each saddle the process that that it goes through is absolutely amazing and then also to um the entire saddle is eco-friendly material so it's healthy to the environment it um it's it's all natural material it's very breathable and they're absolutely comfortable Hmm. they're phenomenal yeah i've been really blown away by by the company as a whole by the saddles by the design aspect and also the engineering and the detail work that goes into the concepts behind each saddle. Yeah. It's pretty, pretty uh, where, where are they made? Uh, overseas? In Taiwan. Made okay. made in Taiwan. Yep. Our saddles were designed in Italy and, and made in Taiwan. Have you had a chance to go out there and, and, and tour the Not factory? yet. I'm so excited. Uh, that'll probably come up after, you know, the Eurobike and Interbike probably over the winter sometime I'll get to go over and do that. That'd be cool. I'm super pumped. I know, yeah. exactly. So yeah. so you're also uh, going to events, setting mm-hmm. up setting mm-hmm. up the canopy and, yep. and uh, uh, dealing with people like me. People? Me. No, it's awesome. <laughs> That's another part about it that I love. I mean, I, I love races. I love the environment of races. I love encouraging people. Mm-hmm. I love hanging out and part of me thought doing events that I might get a little bit bummed out not actually racing some of them. Sometimes right. I do race them, you know, mm-hmm. I'll just set up and have, you know, Tanner or one of or Hector or one of the other guys helping me with it so I get a chance to go out and race, but other times I don't and I absolutely dig it. Like mm. it's been really fun because I've gotten to get in and going to the different events is kind of like this traveling band of gypsies. <laughs> of gypsies, exactly. <laughs> and like we'll all do dinner afterwards together. I mean, you know, over the humps, we all go get tacos afterwards, you know, or salads. We get salads. Yeah, we get salads. Salad life um, <laughs> with extra oil. Yeah. But it, it's been so much fun. And I feel like, you know, my family's kind of all over the place. My siblings are are far away and out of state and this is kind of like you know my team and and now my this little traveling band of friends you know they've turned into my family Mm -hmm. i've been so fortunate they've taken me in and befriended me you know it's hard to make friends when you're 36 years old you know it's weird it's weird totally (laughs) is i'm an introvert that prefers being at home reading so it's uh nerding out on totally nerding out on lord of the rings i just unpacked like so I'm unpacking all my boxes and I come across my Lord of the Rings extended DVD version and then the regular version and the Hobbit regular version then the extended Hobbit version. I put them all on my shelf and I'm like, okay, I'm officially moved in now. <laughs> it's in. We're good. We're good. <laughs> so you're part of a, um, you're part of a group, right? It's not just Smanye, but you're also, mm-hmm. there's also another group. That's yeah. Involved. Yeah. Our parent company, Psychologic Marketing. Um, we we have five brands, and so Smania is one of them. And then we uh, have the distribution side of things, which is bike fetish distribution. So we distribute those band mm-hmm. those brands because once they become big big enough, there's you know the founders found the question asked all the time. Well, where can I buy these? And so mm-hmm. they're like, oh, okay. Well, that's where we set up the distribution channels. And so 
getting to, again, that the education is just mind blowing. You know, I mm -hmm. get to learn the sales side of it, the dealer side of it, the customer side of it, athlete support side of it, which is super fun. And, um, and also the marketing side of it. Do you, do you also go to shops? Uh, n not so much. I mean, I, I do occasionally, mm -hmm. like, especially if I'm out of town. Yeah. That, that's, that's not really, that's not really my job, mm -hmm. but I, I will go into shops if I'm out of state especially and have a little extra time I'll stop in a, a shop that I know either is a dealer or a, a big one in the area and I'll just go and say hi and mm -hmm. ask them you know ask them what kind of saddles they like and just talk to them about bikes mm -hmm. you know right yeah uh, any new products coming down the pike indeed yes we are we're actually going to be launching for Eurobike a design with more of the endurance gravel racer in mind as well as your weekend warrior in mind so the saddles are going to be a little bit denser foam um engineered in pretty cool ways as far as the the case studies go and um the bike fit part of it goes mm -hmm. so it's going to be an extension of our gp line it's going to be called the gp plus and the foam density is going to be thicker in all the right places for people that do. I'm really pumped to try it because we are gearing it towards the ultra endurance crowd and also your weekend warrior crowd that mm -hmm. want a little more cushion than your super light XC road racing type yeah. of saddles. So those are going to be coming in time for Eurobike. And then as well, we also have the Inspire, which is going to be our enduro saddle coming out very soon. So, cool. so we're now, really pumped about that. Like somebody that's getting into cycling mm. how do they how can they pick out the right saddle like mm -hmm. you know because um, it's about the mm -hmm. sit bones so it, it I mean, how, how do we yep. know to wh which one to use absolutely uh we we just developed and a lot of the companies out there saddle companies have gotten keen on fit saddles mm -hmm. i know that you know the old structuring like get your sit bones measured one way or another get them measured get fit on a bike invest in that mm -hmm. It's the difference. There are so many benefits. We don't have enough time to talk about them. But the fit saddle that we're coming out with, basically you get on a stationary bike and you sit on that saddle the way that you would on the stationary bike. And the molding kind of tells you, A, the exact measurements, but also where your sit bones actually sit in the gel. That's pretty cool. And it cool. tells you exactly where your sit bones sit and mm -hmm. what sizing you need. You know, so okay. our so the fit saddle is measured, so it has the three different measurements. We have three different sizes in every saddle mm -hmm. model that we make, and so the idea behind that is nobody, no two people, you know, you and I could be on the same exact bike, and I might require a much wider saddle, whereas mm -hmm. your sit bones are closer together, and you don't, mm -hmm. and you can't tell unless you get. It on a saddle unless you so this this tool that you guys have mm -hmm. is it uh is it how do we find it well we're we just um we just launched it and okay. so we're we're getting them into the u.s here pretty soon but definitely look for them at interbike and eurobike and the trade shows cool. and we'll we'll have them there and then we'll be starting to bring them to events and everything mm -hmm. but i'm a firm believer in People won't buy a saddle unless they sit on it. So you'll That's... see my see me at events. I'll be changing out, you know, some kid's saddle and letting him ride it around mm -hmm. and race with it. You know. That's a that's a real that's it's a real touchy one because mm -hmm. everybody's like they're no used to a certain yeah 
yeah. <laughs> right? Yep. Everybody's used to like a certain saddle. Yes. Like oh, I've been on this saddle yep. for years, and I don't think I want to change. Yeah. Because that's where you're. That's where you're going to be sitting. That's on for a where your yeah. That's where your butt is planted. <laughs> yeah. And I was the same way. You mm-hmm. know, I ran a WTB diva for years, and it worked great for me. And then I ran a physique for a few years, and it worked for me until it didn't anymore. And I was between a rock and a hard place. I was in Ensenada about to do the Baja Ultra Endurance 100. and That's coming up, right? It is coming up again. It's this, it's too close to La Ruta for me to mm. participate in this year, which I'm so bummed. That race yeah. is so much fun. I'm sure fun. it takes a lot out of you, right? It, it does. It, it, was, it was a gnarly one last year. It was awesome. It was so great. But yeah, so right before that race, my the saddle I was on was getting very uncomfortable in all the wrong places. Mm-hmm. And I did... I broke the rule, you know, don't change anything right before a long race. Well, I did, and it happened mm-hmm. to be a Smanya GP142. How'd you get introduced to them? Through Bike Fetish. I okay. was doing part-time work for Bike Fetish on the time for supplemental mm-hmm. supplemental income, and I'd never run one before, but I had one lying around, and I was like, well, why not? I swear to you, Lou, it was the only part of my body that wasn't hurting by the end of that race. <laughs> the only nice. one. Nice, yeah. nice. So, um, in closing, um, hmm. what are your shout-outs? You got any shout-outs, any no, takeaways? shout-outs, takeaways. Uh, I, I, I mean, of course, I would, I would shout-out to, to Troop Racing. The last two years for me racing for them on the bike has been more fun than I've ever had mm-hmm. on the bike before. Like, more fun than I thought possible, you know? I've... I've raced for shops and teams and I've had fun. I've had lots of fun and a lot of support, but troop racing is just that, you know, I'm surrounded by like-minded, a cornet group of friends mm-hmm. who not only I can call and go on a ride with at any given time, but they'll do the crazy stuff like me. And so I, I, I really have enjoyed the last two years of racing more than, more than all the years on the bike. And the other takeaway in my personal story is just it, you truly can. If if I can do things like set your goals lofty, set them lofty, you can absolutely achieve them. You can overcome any adversity or illness. You know, you find your passion and just go for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it it's paid off for me tenfold, mm-hmm. and I get to live a really awesome life now. So it's pretty pretty Especially rad. In- California. I mean, everybody wants to live in Cali, right? I know. Seriously. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. And now I go race in Colorado or go to northern Georgia, close to North Carolina, and I'm like, oh, these places are so beautiful. I should live here. So, (laughs) but that took forever, you know? Yeah. I never left Orange County and um, Southern California, and now Mm -hmm. I'm actually, I'm I'm thinking, you know, we we live in an absolutely beautiful country. We're we're very fortunate, Mm -hmm. and... I mean, you, you've experienced it. You and Danny and the crew, like, getting in the van and just going to some races and yep. turning, it, turning it into a vacation. It doesn't mm-hmm. have to be about the race. It, it gets to be the experience, you know. It's between the races that is the most fun. Yep. Yep. Those memories uh, never go away. Word. You can, you can lose your, your medals and, Dude, you totally. know, trophies or yeah. whatever, but you the memories. Last, yeah. last place, and the memories are... Or what you remember yeah. the most about it. Yeah, yep. exactly. Uh, where can people uh, uh, find information on Smanya? Smanya, well, our, our website link is www.smanyasaddles, S-M-A-N-I-E, saddles.com. Okay. Really cool. Just launched it. We have uh, 
we have, like I said, brand ambassadors that are writing content and telling their stories through pictures, you know, mm -hmm. not necessarily selling, not necessarily putting product. We want to hear about adventure, you mm -hmm. know, Smania translates in Italian to sport mania, which is kind of a slang term for passion for sport. Mm -hmm. And so in launching this website, you know, it was really important to tell, tell the stories of these ambassadors, not only tell our story because of the passion the company has for cycling, but what people are doing around the country and globally on mm -hmm. bikes is pretty cool. Whether you're commuting every day and using it for transportation, whether you're exploring new exotic places or just exploring your backyard or whether you're pushing your limits and racing all the time. Right. Yeah. So cool. I'd encourage everybody to stop by. It's pretty awesome. Right on. Yeah. Kimmy, thank you for your time. Thank you, Lou. We'll Thanks talk. for having me. Absolutely. We'll talk to you guys soon.